Our gospel lesson for today, the ninth Sunday after Pentecost, comes from John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. You'll notice this is a slight variation from what's listed in the bulletin. We're not going to quite include all of the scripture. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we going to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what is that among all so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. The Gospel of the Lord. People of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. A thing you need to know about me, I am a big fan of food. I love to eat. And I have a lot of foods that I really enjoy eating. But in my opinion, the world's most perfect food is pizza. It covers all four food groups. It's marvelous. It's wonderful. I love to eat it. Now, if you've ever seen me eat pizza, you can attest to this because I eat it quickly. Now, I tend to be a fast eater anyway, but when it's pizza, I shovel that stuff, and I get rid of a lot of it, and it goes away very quickly. Now, the reason for this stems all the way back to my childhood. I have an older brother. He's about four and a half years older than me, and when he was getting to be a teenager, which is that normal time when a lot of kids really begin to eat just tons and tons and tons because of that that period of life, and he began to eat so much, I was already beginning to eat a lot at that time too, even though I was that much younger. And whenever we would go out as a family and get pizza, it would be a race between he and I. Because if I wanted to eat my fill, if I wanted to get all of the pizza that I could hold, I had to eat quickly because he was eating quickly. And with every bite and every piece that he took, there was that much less for me. So I would eat and eat and eat and do so very, very, very quickly. Now, this doesn't just apply to pizza. The same sort of thing happened basically all the time. And as I got a little bit older and and all of my my siblings, there were three of us total, as we were all teenagers, I can remember my mom very vividly saying over and over and over again, I cannot keep these kids in food. I can't keep food in the house. They just eat it all. And now, you know what? Things have gone full circle. Because now I have two teenagers, one of which is a 17-year-old boy who is bigger than I am and eats more than I do. And my wife and I are constantly amazed at how hard it is to keep food in the house. Over and over and over again, the kids just eat and eat and eat and eat. And suddenly the food's all gone. It doesn't matter how often we go to the grocery store. 
that we just need more and more and more because the food disappears. And with that, we are constantly amazed at how the grocery line in our monthly budget just continues to grow and grow and grow and grow. Now, with that in mind, I want to come back to our gospel lesson today. Because maybe, just maybe, you begin to see some of those same connections into our scripture lesson that I'm seeing. Now, I love this story. The feeding of the 5,000, arguably one of the better known moments in Jesus' ministry. Perhaps not the most well-known scripture passage in all of the Bible, but definitely one of the better known moments in his ministry. Now, the feeding of the 5,000 has an important distinction when we consider all four of the Gospels. This is the only miracle, or sign, as it's called in John's Gospel, that is featured in all four Gospels. And in addition to that, it's one of a very limited number of stories in general, not just a miracle, but any of the stories that are featured in all four Gospels. And with that, it's always important that we really pay attention to it. Now, I've talked before about how John's gospel has the tendency to be different from the other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it is, and it's oftentimes in those distinctions, as I'm working with a text, as I'm preparing for a message, that's where I really begin to dive into. Those are the things that I really pay attention to. And this story, the feeding of the 5,000, is no different than any of the other ones. John has some moments, some distinctions from the others. Now, the first one is sort of the setting to begin with. In the other three Gospels, Jesus is teaching these large crowds all day. They're out in this deserted place, and as the afternoon is drawing to a close, they've been out there all day, and the disciples actually come to Jesus, and they tell him, hey, maybe you should like, let the people go, dismiss them, so they can all go off into the towns, and they can get something to eat. And Jesus says, no, we should feed them. Here in John, we have our first distinction. Jesus and the disciples are out there in this deserted place, and as the crowds begin to come to them right away, as they're approaching, before Jesus even has this encounter, he's already thinking, how are we going to feed these people? And then we have our next distinction in the way that the conversation goes down. In the other Gospels, it's very generic. We just hear about Jesus and the disciples, and they're kind of having this small back and forth. But here in John's Gospel, we get some specifics of who John is talking to, or of who Jesus is talking to, excuse me. And what's even more interesting about it is we have this little snippet where, where the narration tells us that Jesus was testing them because he knew what he was going to do. We hear, first of all, that he brings it to Philip. Where are we going to get food for these people to eat? And Philip much like my wife and I, as we consider the ongoing scarcity of our grocery line in the monthly budget, starts thinking about the logistics and how are we going to get food and how are we going to pay for it. He says six months wages would not even be enough for them to get a tiny morsel, a tiny mouthful. Philip, who usually when he pops up, usually when he's called by name, we actually, he's kind of viewed a little bit favorably. In this moment, Philip's kind of seeming like, well, okay, here comes the human. Here comes the lack of understanding. And he shows us once again, he's human like all the rest of us. We don't get it, Lord. It's this moment of scarcity. There's not enough. With that, we hear about another disciple. This time it's Andrew. And Andrew takes a slightly different tactic. Whereas Philip sees the limitations, Andrew, who is also aware of the limitations, instead focuses on what is available, 
here's what we have. And as he looks, here's the boy with the five loaves and the two fish. But even he says, but what is that among so many people? Now, this is where the things get interesting. Jesus tells the disciples, have the people sit down. And everyone sits down, 5,000 people. And then Jesus takes what they have. Jesus takes what has been offered, these five loaves, two fish. He gives thanks. He breaks it. And then he feeds the people. I can only imagine how long this took as Jesus went first to one group of people and he's breaking off bread and he's breaking off fish and he gives it to them and they share it. And then he goes to the next group and he breaks off more and gives it to them over and over and over again. And it must have taken a lot of time because for one person to feed 5,000 people, that's going to take a lot, of, a lot of time. But no matter how many groups he goes to, no matter how many individuals he feeds, as he keeps breaking off that bread and breaking off that fish, there's more and there's more and there's more. And it's not just the tiny morsel that Philip is so concerned with. Everyone eats their fill. It would be like if my brother and I were sitting at a table and the pizza just kept on coming and not only would we have enough there's going to be leftovers we hear about that once everyone has eaten their fill there's leftovers and jesus says we can't let it go to waste gather up the fragments of left of what is left over and even though we started with five loaves and two fish when they gather up everything that's left over by all these various thousands of people they fill 12 baskets with the leftovers so that nothing is wasted now at this moment i have to enter into a tiny little bit of speculation because Jesus makes the statement, let nothing be wasted. And then that's kind of the end of it. We don't know what happens to those 12 baskets, but I have a theory. Let me be clear, this is not in the scriptures. So this is only my theory, but I think that they took those 12 baskets and they offered it back to the source in the first place, back to the boy who had given them the five loaves and the two fish in the first place. And I can only imagine this boy somehow trying to balance 12 baskets worth of food and he takes it home and he feeds his family and probably all of their neighbors and this amazing sign, this amazing miracle, the abundance of this miracle continues even past the end of that moment. This story is amazing as we find Jesus, God in the flesh, taking what is given and not only making it enough, but to make it an abundance. Now, as we move forward from that, as we move out of this story and we think about, well, what does that mean for us? I wonder if you are seeing the same sort of connection that maybe I am. When I consider this story, and especially in John's gospel, I think a lot about Holy Communion, and I wonder if you do too. Think about it. Jesus takes food, he takes bread, and he breaks it after giving thanks, and he gives it to all to eat. But boy, that's starting to sound a lot like the, the words of institution, isn't it? In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took bread, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. He does the same sort of thing here, and perhaps that's fitting because in another distinction, John's gospel does not feature Holy Communion at the Last Supper. There are other moments scattered throughout the gospel of John in which Jesus does talk about that sort of idea, but does not actually institute it. In fact, we're going to see several of those gospel stories in the upcoming weeks, and this is really part of it. In Holy Communion, think about what we receive. We receive the bread 
We receive the wine. And think about the words that we also hear, the promise that is spoken. This is my body broken for you. And then the wine. This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. When Jesus institutes Holy Communion, the abundance of God's grace and mercy, which is made real for us through the life and then the death and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ becomes real. And it is offered to each of us. Now, what's interesting about this comparison with Holy Communion and the feeding of the 5,000 today, I think we find, we find some nuggets of truth in what the disciples had to say. Andrew brings what they have. Philip talks about the morsel. And even if they did not intend it this way, this truth begins to emerge. Think about Holy Communion. We have a small bit of bread. Oftentimes we use wafers. That small bit of wine or juice, it's just a morsel. But I've oftentimes heard Holy Communion referred to as a foretaste of the feast to come. It is just a snippet, an appetizer, if you will, that is showing us what one day will come to fulfillment, this heavenly banquet, when the kingdom of heaven comes into fulfillment and we are all a part of it. That is what we will one day experience. That is the promise. And it happens through the forgiveness of sins, through God's grace, which is given to us through Christ. So in Holy Communion, those physical elements are a tiny morsel but they are not a waste. Even that tiny bit is enough to give us that which we need, that which God knows that we need, and that which God embodies through Jesus Christ, that love of God. Nothing goes to waste. In John's gospel, Jesus is very intentional about the action that goes on, the things that happen far more so than what we find in the narration of the other Gospels. And I believe that's intentional because God knows what is being accomplished. And Jesus is God, so Jesus knows what's being accomplished and continues to show the truth of that perhaps most famous line that comes out of John's Gospel, for God so loved the world. And he embodies it. And he embodies it in different ways, not just here with the feeding of the 5,000, but over and over again, when he says, we need to go to Samaria so I can minister to the woman at the well. When he says, we need to do this, we need to go there, we need to go to Jerusalem, and the disciples ask, why do we need to go to Jerusalem where they want to kill you there? And he says, we have to go there because he knows what needs to happen there. And we need to go to Jericho so that, so that he can minister to Zacchaeus, if you know that story. All these different things. Nothing Jesus does is unintentional. Nothing Jesus does will be wasted. As I think about all of this. This is called a sign. It is a sign of who Jesus is, and it is a sign of what God is doing. And there are signs that we also receive. Holy communion is one of them. The splashing of the water in holy baptism is another, but there are other signs that we are given, and sometimes signs that we even participate in. The signs, those little glimmers of God's glory, those little glimmers of God's presence in and around us, in the ways that we are the body of Christ together, the way that we are community for one another, and that we are also the body of Christ out there in the world. All of these little signs 
are an aspect of the greater thing that God is up to. And as Jesus says, nothing is wasted. May we remember that as we look for those little signs in and around us to give us encouragement and hope. When we receive the elements in faith, remembering the promise of God that this is for you. And when we show those same glimmers out into a world that is hungry for it. Amen.